This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. On this weekend of Halloween, a little reminder that we're the hair-raising pod, normally full of more treats than tricks, gravely digging through the occasionally bone-chilling journey that is being a Saints fan. Yes, if it's talk about the ghouls, Saints score, the spirit they show, or which players are in and out of form, we're the place to be. Hopefully not suffering from too many cobwebs, it's our three lovable werewolves, Glenn, Steve and Dan. Crikey, I'm worn out from too many gruesome puns there. It was 11 in case you're keeping count. Evening, guys. That was dreadful. It, it was brilliant. <laughs> it was awful. I can't tell you how long I spent on that, Steve. <laughs> yeah, n- none of you Not, actually strike me as being overly fussed by Halloween. Not in the slightest. No. I suppose it's different. One of our you living on a relatively busy road. <laughs> there we go. Anyway, Glenn, good to have you back. Obviously, you weren't with us last week, so uh, nice to have you Thank back. Thank you. You're sorely missed. Was I? I, well, I, I was. I was. I wrote following, it down. I was. So I was, I was yeah, I was, I was following Twitter and there was lots of people saying, listen to it for the first time this week, it was great. Thought, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there you go. But, uh, no, such, such is life. Yeah, and, uh, maybe, yeah. well, as, as you know, it's me, it's me mum's 75th birthday and with the uh, impending lockdown uh, coming up, I'm kind of kind of glad I got to see her last weekend. So uh, there you go. No, good, good stuff, no, absolutely. And uh, Dan, uh, uh, as Glenn says there, uh, another impending national lockdown, unfortunately, but Premier League football, unlike last time, set to continue on. Yeah, yeah, that's a, a, a certainly a bonus for for me and you know the rest of the guys at the Athletic. I mean, I was at the Echo when you know we had that 
sort of first lockdown and football just went on hold for three months um, and so everyone's sort of scratching their heads wondering well, what we're going to write about so yeah I'm, I'm happy that football's going to carry on for the, for the foreseeable future yeah and Steve just briefly it feels like we're deep into the pod already here but yeah Ralph said ahead of the, the Villa game that he felt top level football could and should continue if that lockdown was indeed forthcoming and obviously that's now being confirmed that clubs you know like Saints were still very much following strict internal procedures and regularly being tested and things like that so it, you know it does seem fine to sort of uh, carry on I suppose as fans you know and particularly people like us that are doing podcasts every week you want it to carry on yeah I mean what else are we going to talk about if, if there's <laughs> if there's no football it, it suddenly I mean that that three month period was was horrendous just for the quality of the discussion of anything that went on there was just nothing there was nothing to talk about other than the repeated oh are the are the uh, are the bottom six trying to get the get the league cancelled so there's there's no danger of relegation and all, all and all this sort of stuff it's just like oh god give it a rest lads it 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 got it got very tedious very very quickly so i think that's i think that's one of the key um key things with with it obviously going to be progressing for the time being as as far as we as far as we're aware obviously things may change at, at any moment um as we've seen but yeah i mean it sounds as if all the protocols are in place they're testing them by the sounds of it pretty much every other day so I mean, any any situation gets gets dealt with quite quickly obviously it's a it's a huge blow for for football at lower levels because i mean non-league clubs have actually done uh, non-league clubs below the national league have done quite well out of this this current situation because where nobody's been able to go to go to professional football they've still been able to go to go and watch their local non-league side play and you've seen clubs actually selling out in advance of their sort of with their sort of reduced capacities of it, like anything up to i think anything up to about 600 at um at some levels and these are clubs that would only be getting about two, 250 through the gate in normal times so they've they've done really well out of this and obviously now that's all been taken away from them and and there's going to be so much um, so much uncertainty again for probably, well, I mean, at least the next month. And I mean, who knows how, how long it'll, how long they'll actually keep this, keep this up for. Yeah. Well, it wasn't all bad because we did have the chance on the pod to speak to the likes of uh, Dave Merrington, Terry Payne, James Beattie, etc., etc. So if you've got uh, spare time and you want to go back uh, and listen, there's a few pods back there that you guys will be able to catch up on. But uh, moving on to this episode, of course, we're recording this on All Saints Day, the day after Halloween, so that makes it nice and topical. Uh, we'll be reflecting on Saints' latest Premier League fixture, the... Uh, Oh, insert word of your own choosing I think 4-3 win versus Aston Villa I'm still shaking now even a few hours later um, we'll touch on the recent leadership diversity code news and Saints being the only Premier League side not signing up to the news FA voluntary initiative before finishing with a preview of next Friday's visit to St Mary's as Steve Bruce's Newcastle before we get going we're very grateful to be able to welcome Ed Busy as our latest TSP patron via patreon.com slash total saints podcast Ed great to be able to give you a shout out on this episode I know we had a chance to catch up on the uh, TSP VIP adventure in the week. It was nice to meet you as it was with the other patrons as well and uh, we really appreciate your support in helping to uh, fund the pod's continuation. Speaking as a mention of that, it was uh, really great to get a chance to catch up with all of the patrons who were able to join the event with Glenn, Steve, Dan and myself on Thursday evening. Hopefully everyone enjoyed it. It was uh, certainly good fun and nice to be able to catch up with uh, a range of subjects. Um, For those of you who couldn't make it, a recording of the get-together is available via Patreon. Locked for you 
you patrons only so if you go onto our patreon home site you'll be able to find it okay let's get cracking before the grim reaper wills his scythe on our excessively long introduction this is total saints podcast episode 134 This is the Total Saints Podcast with Ben Stanfield, Steve Grant, Glenn Dillacour, and the Athletics Dan Sheldon. Sunday lunchtime, certainly in the UK anyway, is normally a time for roast chicken or roast beef if you prefer, and a family COVID allowing get together. Not this weekend though, as high noon today meant Saints taking on Aston Villa PPE styly. The game eventually finishing in typical Saints fashion 4 3 having been 4-0 up. It meant uh, Ralph Hasenhutl has now achieved 14 Premier League away wins, which is his joint highest tally under one manager for the club, along with Ronald Koeman, who had 14 wins in 38 away games. Hasenhutl's done it 14 in 34. Steve, we'll come on to some of the key moments in a moment, but uh, overall, as a 90 minutes, how and, and you know do and possibly can you sum that up? Carnage. <laughs> it was just absolutely mental from... Pretty much from from the first whistle, really. I mean, I I, mean, I, I didn't watch the game because I, I wasn't going to pay the fifteen quid for um, for pay per view, and I was I was out um, out with the family for lunch on the basis that I'm not going to probably see them until till Christmas now. But from from what I saw, little clips and highlights and comments and stuff on on Twitter, it seemed as if basically Villa played quite well up until the edge of our box, and then tried to overplay it a little bit. Um, and we and continually we'd go down the other end and carve out something proper. And so obviously uh, we had the disallowed goal early doors. Uh, Walcott hit the bar, and then and even even with those two opportunities, we then still score three further goals. And you kind of you kind of thinking at half time. Well, I mean that's just this is just in the bag, isn't it? And and Are you? everything. <laughs> well, I, I I kind of have a have a sort of higher regard for our um sort of staying power these days i don't find i don't find it quite so nervous when when we've got a lead of that size i mean obviously we don't get them very often so it's it's quite rare anyway but i i never i never really felt up until up until probably the last 10 minutes or so when we when we were forced into the injury substitutions i never really felt at that point that up until that point that I mean, even once they got one back, I thought, well, it's it's that's that's no big deal. It's, it's annoying not to keep the clean sheet, but realistically, we probably weren't going to, um, given the number of chances that that we gave up. But yeah, I I thought, I mean, to be honest, I think the the two goals they got in injury time put a little bit of a gloss on it from from their perspective, because as as Ralph said in his in his post match interview, for that first hour, we were we were outstanding. Yeah. I thought it was a great quote from him that uh, made me chuckle, actually. I'm not sure. It's, it's probably come out differently to how he meant. But as you said, Steve, uh, Hasenhutl said, the first 60 minutes was good, the final 30 minutes not. We stopped doing what we can do. But being in that situation, i.e. 4-0 up, is something we are not used to. In the future, we will get used to it. I'm quite excited by that statement. But uh, there we go. Um, yeah, Glenn, as, as Steve sort of says, that uh, at the end of the day, it's three more points. That's the most important thing. And, you know, up to third in the Premier League, which uh, I think we should all be very excited about. But it was a bit of a nervy ending. Um, focusing maybe on the first half Glenn because that was where a lot of the excitement was Saints were completely dominant all over the pitch and obviously went in with a deserved 3-0 lead yeah and 
to be honest, it, it should have been game over, and I'll, I'll, I'll get to that. Well, it, ba- it basically was game over, but it should have been even more so. Uh, you know, as Steve, as Steve said, we the, the disallowed goal for, um, against Adams is really strange because it's 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 one of these hair in his armpit offsides again. But also the, the last touch came off a Villa defender before it hit Adams. So there's sort of like two things to consider there as to why that goal maybe should have stood. But anyway, you know, great header by Vestergaard, two good free kicks by Ward-Prowse. But the issue I have with, with all the sort of excitement that happened in the second half is why Matt Cash wasn't sent off for the deliberate handball. I mean, it was the it was the very definition of a last man red card offence. Ball floated over. He's the last man. Deliberate. Sticks his hand up. Stops a goal-scoring chance. There's no double jeopardy rule because it's not a penalty. So he has to get sent off. And I have no idea why, with a referee and VAR there, that he wasn't sent off. We scored, so happy days. But Villa wouldn't have. We'd have won that game 5-0, 5-0, 6-0, if he'd have gone off like he should have done. But our football in the in the first half, some some of it was was just mesmerising. I'm not just talking about the you know the attacking play, just the the play out out from the back. Um, Romeo and Ward-Prowse were just different class in that first half, just knocking the ball around, keeping it moving. And just everybody, you know, singing from the same hymn sheet. Walcott had a good game out on the left in the first half in particular. Armstrong was heavily involved and the two strikers were unplayable. So it, it was... It was a it was a marvelous first half, aided and abetted by Villa's defenders, I have to say. <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, you know, uh, Dean Smith has come out with some interesting quotes saying, "Well, he felt like they deserved to to win the game." Well, I think if you're defending against Saints, the first thing you you know, there's three things you have to do basically: mark the six foot seven bloke <laughs> at free kicks, <laughs> don't give free kicks away on the edge of the box, and don't let Danny Ings cut in from the left. They're like three of the fundamentals, and, and that was all four of our goals, basically. But uh, but no, up to the hour, we were brilliant. Yeah, it was handy that John McGinn, as you say, at about four foot five, was Mark Investigar, wasn't it? But uh, yeah. yeah, I thought uh, yeah, you know, it was uh, interesting. Uh, the other thing that caught my uh, the eye, Dan, uh, and I know it caught the eye of Conor Armstrong as well. Um, of course, we scored after Vestergaard our, our thousandth Premier League goal, which is quite a, a good record to have. I think we're the eleventh club to have achieved that in Premier League history, um, with uh, Prowse's first of his two free kicks. Of course, we had a chat on last week's pod, Dan. Uh, I'm not saying it was specifically you, but between the three of us, about sort of Prowse's conversion rate, which uh, Conor had uh, tweeted to say last Sunday on Total Saints pod. Quote: JWP doesn't deliver enough from free kicks to be considered a set piece expert. This Sunday two goals and an assist all from free kicks inside the first 45 minutes laughing emoji um obviously we took credit didn't we you did dan for alex like mccarthy's turnaround assist. yeah exactly um we obviously took the credit for last week shea adams with the, the extra touch and things like that are we taking the credit for prowsey's free kicks now dan <laughs> <laughs> i don't know i think i'm gonna put my hands up on this one and um say i got it wrong although you know i mean he, he, i mean his record isn't 100 percent, but you know after today they were two great free kicks i mean I don't know what the goalkeeper is doing for the second one. I mean, yeah. it's almost in exactly the same spot. Don't you were the corner flag in the goal, wasn't he? Yeah. He's, he's, what, he's watching think, it. That's what he's doing. And you just think <laughs> there's only one place he's going to put that ball, and it's exactly where I went last time. So, yeah, he just stood there and watched it. Do it. He just watched James do it all over again. Whether he would have got it, I don't think so anyway. I had to laugh. I mean, when the first one went in, I thought, bloody hell, quality free kick. And then the second one went in, I just chuckled to myself because it's just... Oh, I saw was, a tweet from you just saying, stop it. <laughs> yeah, I mean that was it. It was that was that's all I had to say to it really. It was just all the goals. I enjoyed watching all the goals. I thought Vestergaard Vestergaard's header was good. Okay, yeah, McGinn's short, but you know it was a solid header into the the top corner. 
Prowsey was exceptional. You know, you could argue, Ralph argued, certainly argued, he had two assists today, the first uh, goal that got ruled out, and then obviously the Vestergaard header. And then Ings' goal at the end, or towards more towards the end, you know, it was just yeah, another thing of beauty. So, yeah, it's just a really enjoyable game, really enjoyable game to watch. And, yeah, I, I apologise to Prowsey. And the Athletic <laughs> have written, written uh, James a, a love letter. <laughs> Him and three kicks for the match piece, so yeah, we're happy to say I got it wrong. Well, that'll be good. Now, I'm just thinking like each week we should pick a player and sort of, you know, just say that they need to improve on something, and then by the end of it, we're going to have a team of world beaters, aren't we? So, uh, um, as you say, Dan, um, Prousey has now overtaken Matt Letizier as the uh, player um, who scored the most direct free kicks for Saints now with eight. Um, he's the ninth player in Premier League history to score two direct free kicks in the game, uh, in the same game, sorry, and the first since Christian Eriksen for Tottenham in uh, October 2015. However, and I was surprised at this he's the first player to score two direct free kicks in the first half of a Premier League game ever so that's some record for him I'm sure he's delighted here's what Ralph Hasenhutl had to say about the birthday boy after the game around the box uh, he's very strong and, and uh, there's no position where he cannot score I think and, and uh, good to have such a player in your team but also because of his uh, workload assist uh, he was nearly every offensive action is is, is, is uh, it's based on, on, on a ball win from him or a pass or whatever. Uh, it's difficult, I think. We had the Reiner problem and then I decided that between, between him and, 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 uh, and Ibra, uh, if he were it's easier, I think, to, to go in the sixth. But uh, yeah, in the end, it was important that we have the three points and, and uh, in such a moment, you, can, you have to be committed, uh, defend together your box and, and get the three points and this is, this is the most important thing. The second half then, uh, Steve, was obviously a, a little more nervy, as we mentioned. How, how much of a difference do you think Bednarek going off at half-time and Jack Stevens coming on was? Because, you know, to be fair to Jack, obviously he's not played much, a little rusty, and I suppose Villa were always going to up their game. So did that sort of, alongside Bertrand, you know, potentially make Saints a little bit more wobbly at the back? Yes, I think so. I think Bednarek is kind of, has basically been the ever-present, hasn't he, for for basically as, as long as Ralph's been in charge when he's been fit he's played so having him not as as sort of anywhere in that back four probably threw us a little bit a little bit sort of maybe taking taking our foot off the pedal thinking thinking that the game was won which let's face it at four nil up 10 minutes into the second half to all intents and purposes the game is over um you've just got to manage it right and obviously then the two further injuries kind of knocked knocked us back a little bit we had to we had to change the shape a little bit with Prousey going into left back uh when Bertrand went off and I, to be honest I think it was that move that specific move that that kind of caused caused us problems late in the game I think if if you keep Prousey and Romeo in the middle maybe even you add Diallo to that midfield then I, th- I think we probably see the game out relatively comfortably but because and whenever Prousey's played as a fullback, he's Jim. I, I can't remember him playing on the left before. I've, he's obviously played right back and right wing back uh, quite a few times, but putting him putting him over on the on the left, so we obviously lose his his impact in in the centre midfield, and we've then got him in a in a position that's completely alien to him. So they were always going to uh, be able to target him there. So that was that was surprising. I thought we might have we might have managed that reshuffle a little bit better. But I mean, do we, we have a fullback on the bench? Was Valerie on the bench or anyone like that? I don't think so. I think he's still injured from the uh, game. Uh, didn't he get injured against? Was oh, it Derby or something? Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Bokin's one on the bench, obviously. Otherwise, he'd have come on. But 
And Stevens was already on, so I guess that yeah. was the defensive option. But, it it yeah, does just well. reiterate, Steve, doesn't it, just briefly? I mean, it does just reiterate what we've spoken about a lot, which is obviously, you know, Prousey incredibly versatile. It does just make you realise what a, a great player he is. But as you say, when he, in, you know, you move him out of centre midfield, that does create a massive gap for the team at the moment. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, ju- I've just, just got the, the subs bench up, and basically, Stevens is the only defensive player there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Obviously, you've got Diallo as a holding midfielder, but then it's uh, wingers and strikers. Um, so there's not an awful lot there. I mean, it, that obviously works out fine if you're chasing the game because you've got load, loads of options to, to throw on. Um, but yeah, if you're if you're holding it and or you've got in, injuries in defensive positions, then yeah, that's a that's a little bit of a problem. Mm. They could always play Genapo there again. <laughs> <laughs> well, so well. I mean, kept kept a clean sheet in the 40 yeah. minutes he played there. Yes, he did. <laughs> he got, he got, not, not not quite sure how. Yeah. I was thinking back to the game against Sheffield United. Sheffield United. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. I think, yeah. 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 I think today, if Stevens hadn't already come on, he would have probably come on at right back and Walker Peters gone across the left back. Mm. But um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I thought he's definitely played left back for Spurs. Yeah, I thought part of the problem was it, I thought Wal Prowse actually did okay at left back. I thought. Diallo looked a bit raw when he came on and he was charging around like trying to make too many tackles almost. He was giving away quite a few free kicks and he obviously gave him to away. Late. Yeah, I think he was he was a little bit overexcited about being on the pitch and instead of sort of just chasing and closing people down he was he was chasing and once he got there he was like determined to kick someone or something and we seemed to lose it a little bit. Um, with him coming on, but he's young and he'll he'll learn but, uh, like, like an yeah. excitable new puppy, eh? So uh, there we go. a little bit. <laughs> um, and, and we were just talking before we started recording, Dan. Uh, Saints had four shots on target and scored four goals for all of those that of us that enjoyed, you know, Maurizio Pellegrino's reign, uh, Claude Puel's reign, things like that. Um, you know, you barely had one shot on target, let alone you know anything like that. Um, Danny's obviously was the fourth uh, shot on target. It was a wonderful goal, but um, maybe the one sort of downside today, uh, particularly alongside Bertrand going off, was obviously Danny going off with a, a sort of suspected knee injury. At time of recording, we're not 100% sure yet. Um, of course, there'll be a scan tomorrow, and we'll keep our fingers crossed. But what did sort of Ralph talk about after the game with uh, regards to Danny, um, Dan? Because I know you were kind of on the press conference, weren't you? So did he give much away, or was he sort of uh, fairly guarded? Uh, he didn't say too much i think you know as with any journalist any kind of fan or or manager certainly after the game let's face it danny wouldn't have he'd have been in the dressing room so i think it's important to kind of not speculate too much all ralph said about it really was what i tweeted which is just along the line of you know it didn't look good which you know we've all seen the pictures it didn't look great you know of course he doesn't want it to be bad everyone would say the same and that danny was shouting my knee my knee you know that's all we know at the moment um, fingers crossed, you know, for Jan, Ryan and Danny that it's nothing too serious and they can all be back for the, the Newcastle game. But I guess one positive is that, you know, if it is going to cost them, you know, a bit of a time out, then at least there's only one game and then an international break. And, you know, where Saints are flying at the moment, you know, you wouldn't want, obviously you wouldn't ever want to see Danny Ings not in the team. You know, if you're going to miss one, at least you've got plenty of points on the board early doors. And like I say, let's not speculate, it's early doors. Um, the club, I'm sure, will release news of a scan as and when they get the results. So I think we just wait until that point and 
you know, keep our fingers crossed. I think you're spot on then, Dan. Uh, I think we've seen a lot of uh, things on social media about potential, you know, injuries here and what could happen, all that sort of thing. I think, as you say, the best thing to do is wait for the club to come out. I'm sure they will this week to uh, give an update. If not, I'm sure at the very, very latest, Ralph Hasenhutl will in his press conference ahead of the Newcastle game. But just very, very briefly, Dan, um, we'll touch on it later when we preview Newcastle. But I suppose the other positive, um, you know, if, if Danny does have to miss one or a couple of games, you know, fingers crossed he won't. But almost by bringing in Theo Walcott now we've got that option alongside Shane Long to play up top you know he can bring back Nathan Redmond in of course he was man of the match from Sky last week and yet it didn't even start today so I asked Ralph about it during the week he's got a few options now and it's about keeping those players motivated because there are going to be opportunities exactly and you know like I say we don't know what what is going on with Danny so I don't want to say you know he might miss next weekend next week's game but hypothetically speaking if he is out next week then Saints have got Theo Walcott who can play up top and then you've got Nathan Redmond to come back in, which, you know, essentially sums up the reason they signed Theo Walcott to provide cover. He can play in kind of any of the roles in that front four. So yeah, I mean, I, you're, you're getting a decent Premier League experienced player to come in. It, it's fine. Right, just to finish then, Glenn, obviously near the end, Grealish threw himself on the floor as he does, uh, won a penalty before he then made it 4-3 in the 97th minute. But all in all, Glenn, third place in the Premier League, top of the form table over the last six games, unbeaten in five now. Happy days. Uh, yeah, yeah, can't really say too much more than that. It's um, it's bizarre seeing the, uh, usually the line we're looking at is the one above, you know, 17th place, isn't it? Um, but we're, we're looking at a different line and it's got Champions League qualification places yeah it's quite it's quite remarkable i'm sure we'll carry on for the rest of the season and it will be all signed and sealed by february and uh we'll, we'll be off to sort of exciting places next season no it won't be um <laughs> it's 27 points to stay up that's what that's what we're all thinking yeah yeah that's that's pretty that's pretty much it and uh you know we've, we've come out of today's game we're, we're third in the league but we're all here thinking crap if things is out for the season then you know, where's the next goal going to come from sort of thing. So, uh, no, it's, uh, what was it Nigel Atkins used to say? Don't get too, too up when you win and don't get too down when you lose. And I think that's, uh, that's a pretty good way to, uh, to live your life as a Saints supporter and just, uh, just go, go with whatever's happening at, at the moment. But, absolutely, uh, absolutely. Well, we'll definitely, uh, be keeping our fingers crossed on Danny's this week, but for the moment, we'll keep enjoying the Premier League table. the total saints podcast proudly underpinned by our tsp patrons dan i didn't want to spend loads of time on this but the leadership diversity code overseen by the fa came up earlier this week um, not least because of course saints were singled out as quote the only premier league club not to sign up to it for those that don't know it's a voluntary initiative which aims to tackle racial inequality in the english game a, a subject i think all of us would agree is very important from a Saints point of view, Dan, um, given a little more investigation and the statement they released, there seemed to be some compelling and sort of maybe justifiable reasons why they hadn't decided to sign up. I know you shared a, a piece about it in Tuesday's uh, Athletic, didn't you? And uh, I know you also spoke to one of the Saints coaches, Carl Martin, who potentially is sort of linked to this uh, sort of scenario as well, didn't you? So what's your overall view of uh, the, the sort of diversity code in relation to Saints? I think from a headline perspective, you know, when the news kind of broke, of course, it looks really bad. You know, you're just seeing a Southampton, you know, are the only Premier League club not to sign up to the FA's new diversity code. Uh, I think when you kind of click on the story and read some of their 
their opinions on it as to why they may not have signed up you think oh, okay well that's not as as bad as it sounds don't get me wrong i'm not here to pass judgment on whether they've done the right thing or the wrong thing you know that's kind of up to supporters and if the club feel comfortable that they've not signed up then that's up to them the the club's point of view is that they're doing brilliant i mean as they say they're doing their own work behind the scenes and that you know there's a lot of stuff in the the fa's new code that is was slightly rushed through um i think one of the complaints i kind of heard sort of around st mary's was that you know in the fa's charter for example it doesn't say that there should be a certain amount of women working within the men's side of the game if you look at sort of southampton's bench and in and around the the backroom staff you'll see you know more than one more than one female basically so that's something they're already trying to excel on so in that instance i don't think it goes far enough the the second issue was is this essentially tokenism from the fa you know the athletic at the time was led to believe that there won't be any punishments or penalties for the teams that don't meet the the target set by the fa and you know i think for for context it'll be important to kind of explain what those targets are so the code requires 15 percent of new senior leadership roles and 25% of new coaching roles at men's clubs to be filled by black, Asian or mixed heritage candidates. Um, that drops to 10% for senior coaching roles and clubs must also fill 30% of senior leadership roles with female candidates. And if they don't reach them, then, you know, as I said, we're led to believe there's no punishment. So it begs the question, well, what is, what is it worth? You know, what's the point? You know, I think the FA would have looked slightly better if, it was clearly set out that, you know, if you don't reach it, you're going to be punished X, Y and Z. But that's that's not the case. You know, this isn't to say that Southampton won't sign up. The Premier League are also going to be releasing their own equality and inclusion charter in the in due course. So I think Southampton wants to kind of take a look at that and then decide what's best for them and what and the, the own work they're doing before making the next move. I think, you know, they felt it was rushed. They received an email and a cool sort of uh, an email 10 days before the the news broke about them not signing up. And then they were approached by one phone call. Um, they had no time to really kind of think it through, ask probing questions or, you know, I think they wanted it to be more of a wider discussion as opposed to this is what we're doing. All sign up now. Um, I don't think that was the case. So, I mean, again, it's, it, it's a very bad headline. It doesn't look good when you see the headline, but you read what the kind of what the club's feelings are on it. And then I think it's from that point, it's, you know, at the athletic, you know, I was keen when writing the story, you know, I don't want to take a side. It's this is what the FA are doing. This is what Southampton are saying. It's up to you. Make your own mind up if they've done the right thing or the wrong thing. And that's still my opinion on it. You know, it's not for me to say whether they've done right or wrong. Supporters can make their own minds up on that. But yeah, I mean, there's, there's not much more I can add than that, I don't think. I, I think that's a good summary, Dan. I was going to ask you this question after Steve, actually, but bearing in mind you've just sort of briefly covered it there. Um, I think we're all agreed, and I'm sure everyone listening, it's a, a very, you know, um, sort of topical, but more you know, more importantly, serious subject. And I think it's it's great that, you know, the FA Premier League clubs, etc., like Saints, are looking at it. I think, you know, from the four of us and what we've heard, you know, Saints have made a, a lot of internal changes the last couple of years that have really helped to boost some of this data and, and make sure that, you know, there are people in the positions that they should be. Um, I suppose what I was going to ask, Dan, is, um, you know, the club were given a bit of criticism maybe for signing up to the PPV vote without maybe taking a bit more time and asking a few more questions. That's almost like what it seems they want to do with this, but yet they've been criticised for not signing up, you know, quickly enough. So actually, as fans and, and football, you know, maybe media and things like that, are they giving Saints a bit of a hard time with it? It's hard to say, really. You've seen some, obviously, supporters on Twitter, and I don't think Twitter's probably the best platform to judge what everyone's thinking all the time that gave Southampton a little bit of stick. And then equally, you've seen other 
people say that, you know, actually I respect their decision. You know, they were sort of brave enough to stand out and say, well, we're not signing up for this because we don't think it goes far enough. And um, that just falls into the category of it's up for other people to decide. One thing I do think is important to say is that, you know, Southampton are saying they're doing brilliant work behind the scenes and that they're far out, far exceeding the FA's targets. The proof will be in the pudding if there's evidence of that. It's very easy and let's not, we can't sit around here and lie. You know, it's easy to say we're doing more than we should be doing, but there has to be evidence of that. So the data needs to support that. Uh, I've not seen any data. Um, I'm not sure if it's available on their website. I don't think it is, but that's how, you know, if they release it, then you can really kind of judge it and see how they're doing. Mm. Perfect. All right. Well, just to finish off then, Steve, I suppose from a, a fan's point of view, um, again, it is voluntary and the club feel that obviously they weren't given enough time and they did release a statement as well saying, uh, quote, Southampton FC are wholly supportive of the football leadership diversity code objectives. We are aware that the Premier League are revising their equality standard to bring the two closer together. At this time, the club consider it most appropriate course of action to wait and understand how a revised Premier League equality standard and the football leadership diversity code will work together and complement each other before revising our recruitment targets and already established processes so i suppose the question steve is i don't want to say is it a bit of pr from the fa because as i say this is an important subject but you know if, if saints believe that they're you know already in a good place and doing sort of good work with this would you say they have made the right decision or just to finish off do you you know would you almost say well there wasn't probably any reason not to have signed up to it then yeah i think i'd probably err on the second the second argument on that because i think ultimately if as as seems to be the case, that any potential penalties won't be enforced under this new code. And particularly given, obviously, the heat that the club has taken this week as a result of of sticking their head above the parapet and saying, no, this this isn't this isn't uh, quite for us at the moment. I kind of wonder what the what would have been the cost to the club of just signing up to it. As you say, you don't want to kind of sort of say, oh, it's a PR move, but. It is reputation management, and now people are looking at Southampton Football Club. Oh, they're the only Premier League side who um, who haven't signed up to this diversity thing. There's no con. There doesn't need to be any context behind that because that's not what. Because people don't look for context. People look for the look for the raw headline, and the headline is Saints are the one out of the twenty who haven't signed up for it, and therefore the the view we're now the club is now going to be perceived negatively through people who don't feel the need to kind of delve delve any deeper into it and that just seems to have been so easily avoided all right well i'm sure saints will be keeping their eye on it and uh, i'm sure it's something they will absolutely continue to monitor and feed into regularly you're listening to the total saints podcast going to the heart of all things saints fc Next up for Saints on the pitch is a Friday night visit to St Mary's of Newcastle United. Steve, last season Newcastle managed to finish in 13th and if we're honest, I suppose never really looked in danger of ever going down at any point during the year. This time around, they're currently sitting in 10th after today's 2-1 win against Everton. What do you make of sort of modern day Newcastle on and off the pitch? They're a difficult watch under Steve Bruce, I would say. Defensively, they seem to have a very good record, although... It seems to be kind of in spite of everything rather than because of any sort of pre-designed system. Um, I mean, last season especially, they massively outperformed all um, all sort of statistical 
likelihoods defensively. They they should have conceded about 70 goals by anybody's standards, but through a combination of coming up against rubbish attackers and their um, their keeper, Martin Dubravka, being brilliant, they managed to keep themselves out, out of trouble through that because kind of as an attacking entity last season, they were pretty much non-existent. Um, this season, they've improved They've improved from an attacking perspective, I think. Callum Wilson's a, a solid buy, I think. He'll, he'll, score, he'll score enough goals to keep them... Uh, comfortably away from away from danger as long as he's provided the service uh, which he I mean that was that was the key the key problem for him at Bournemouth last season was that they just stopped giving him uh, stopped creating chances for him I mean as I say they're they're a tough watch but I think Steve Bruce has kind of tried to try to make them a little bit more attacking in certain games this season so that Brighton game at um, their first I think it was their first home game he set them set them up in a much more attacking formation and then Brighton proceeded just to just completely pick them off. Um, so since then they've gone gone back to basics, and they're now quite a sort of dour defensive defensive minded team that will that will look to hit teams on the break. And given that we quite like to hit teams on the break, I suspect that Friday may not be a classic. Mm. I, I suppose the other thing as well has been interesting. Um, yeah, away from home this season, Spurs they were pretty much outplayed for 94 minutes. Still managed to pick something up. You know, going to Wolves is never easy, is it? And they managed to get something there. So they've, as you say, they got a little bit of grit about them. You look at their last three games. Obviously, they lost at home to Man United 4-1, which is an incredible result. Bearing in mind how uh, both teams are playing at the moment, um, drew one all at Wolves, and then, as I say, they've beaten Everton today. So they arrive at St Mary's having won three of their seven games. Um, they've only scored 10 goals, but uh, 11 points. Um, Dan. And as uh, Steve kind of linked there, um, they spent around £35 million to bring in Callum Wilson and Jamal Lewis from Norwich during the summer. They also then got free transfers of Jeff Hendrick and Ryan Fraser. I suppose if we're being honest, you know, four decent signings who already look to be playing their part and contributing, you know, experience within the Premier League apart from Lewis. Um, Callum Wilson, again, you know, someone that's done all right against us. He's up to six goals now, having scored twice against Everton. So certainly not bad transfer business by them. No, I thought it was, you know, by Newcastle's sort of normal standards, I thought it was really good transfer business. Ryan Fraser, uh, you know, we all saw, well, I mean, maybe not last season, but we know what he's sort of capable of at Bournemouth. He was, you know, arguably one of their best players, if not their best player alongside Wilson the season before last. So, you know, getting him is good. I mean, whether he's probably got, you know, we've seen whether they're in a relegation battle, whether he's the sort of player you want on their side or not, I'm not sure. But Callum Wilson, you know, England international, like Steve said, he's going to score goals. You know, he's already done a better job than Joel Linton and cost a lot, a lot less money to do that. So, yeah, they're going to be a threat going forward. Um, Jamal Lewis, I like that signing. You know, Norwich... Although they were awful last season, they did have some good players. But yeah, I mean, I think, and I, you know what, I think Steve Bruce gets a bit of a, a tough time in the press every now and then. But I think, you know, he's a solid manager. I can't see them them going down. I think had he not been in charge last season, they probably would have been relegated. I mean, as Steve said, I mean, how on earth they stayed up with Joel Linton? You know, I mean, it's a surprise anyway. But I think that's sort of credit credit to Steve Bruce. I'd, I'd agree with you. I was um, maybe surprised when he got the job, but um, he does seem to have uh, stabilised them, doesn't he, and that sort of thing. And, Glenn, I, I suppose the concern for us is that you look at maybe Sam Maxim, obviously he played well against us at St Mary's last year. you got Almiron, you got Ryan Fraser, Callum Wilson. There's a lot of pace in their side, um, which uh, for a team that probably going to come and play on the, the counter-attack is a, a bit of a concern. But do you see Sam Maxim as the, the main threat, or is there anyone else that's kind of standing out for you? Well, he, last year he was the only threat wasn't he and we, we still managed to give him a goal at um was that the game where Jan Valerie fell asleep right. yeah, 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 yeah it was wasn't it Ginepo yeah got I mean, he 
he was their only threat last year. Going back to the Steve Bruce thing, yeah, I think he's kind of disrespected as well. Um, I think with, with what he had to work with last year, he's done remarkably well. The signing of Wilson this year has, has done what the signing of Joe Linton was supposed to do last year. And that they've, you know, you goals are the are the most precious commodity, obviously, and they're, you know, they're they're decent, but the um, and they won't be anywhere near the bottom this year. Probably in the same way, the Villa won't be in anywhere in any danger of relegation this year. They look a they look a solid team, and I think they'll do okay. And yeah, they will they will cause us problems. But if touching wood, if um, everyone's fit and we, we have a full t- full choice uh, side to pick from, I, I see us having uh, having too much for them, um, even though they are much improved from last year. Yeah. And Steve, we've not beaten Newcastle in any of our last six Premier League games. Four defeats during that period, including uh, obviously both fixtures last season. Um, I suppose we hadn't beaten Burnley, had we, for a long time? We went up there and won earlier this season. So do you feel like we owe the Toons one? Um, yeah, to an extent. I mean, historically, we've generally done well against them at home and we've been awful up at St. James's. I mean, I remember that like famously during that petrol crisis when they when they had to come down travel all the way down to the Dell and we absolutely tore torn the pieces that day and um but the i mean we sh- it's it's a game where if we get our attack right then they shouldn't be able to live with us in the same way that um man united finally got their attack right against newcastle late on in that game last week if we can kind of put the same sort of moves together then we can create an awful lot of problems for them. Um, I mean, Newcastle are capable of creating problems for themselves as well, which which is always a bonus. But then you kind of put us in the same in the same boat as well. I think at times. Yeah. And Dan, from your point, oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if they always play like this, but that Man United game, they defended like we did against Tottenham, in that they they pushed everybody up to the halfway line, and United just kept lobbing the ball over the top for Rashford to run onto, and they they. I don't know if they always play that way. I, sus- I suspect they don't. But if if they do play like that, then that will that should play into our hands a little bit. Yeah. But, uh, we'll have to wait and see. Yeah. And, and Dan, Friday night football under the lights at St Mary's it always brings back. Uh, it's always nervous time for Saints fans, I think. But hopefully, you know, now as we say, uh, from a Saints point of view, going into it five unbeaten, a bit of momentum, as we uh, seem to have said in the last couple of pods. You know, hopefully Saints will be going there with their tails up and whoever is fit and available to play, thinking it's a game they can very much win. Well, I'd be worried if they weren't thinking that. <laughs> you know, like I say, after their form, they, they should be backing themselves to, to beat Newcastle at home. I mean, I won't be there. I'm going to be off, so I'll be watching it from home. But yeah, I think, you know, as we sort of said last week when we were sort of previewing the Villa game, you know, these are the teams that Southampton, you know, should be beating if they want to kind of stay in and around the top 10, top 8. Um, it's another good chance to put three more points on the board before an international break. Um, and to extend their unbeaten run, and I fully expect them to do that. And Glenn, just finally, Dan's missed the most important point there. If we win, whatever scoreline, we'll go top of the Premier League. That seems incredible. I can't even believe I'm saying that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's quite amusing. As I said, as I said earlier, it would be it would be great. But I, I vaguely remember us being in this territory once before, <laughs> years and years ago, and. Yeah. And we had a particularly crap home defeat by Brighton or something. So, <laughs> no, so nothing's it, it, more it, Saints than that, really, is it? You know, you win oh, to go, no. and you, you let in a last-minute equaliser, or you know, well, even an equaliser uh, wouldn't be the end of the world, would it? But yeah, it's just uh, if anyone can sort of blow it from this point of view, which I know sounds silly, then Saints are definitely the team to do it, right? Yeah, but I'd, yes, we are. But <laughs> I, I'd like I'd like to think that um, they won't be uh, too worried about 
the uh, potential top of the table scenario <laughs> as we are what seven games in or eight games in or whatever it is so no hopefully we can just go out and do a do a decent job on uh, on Newcastle I, I feel gutted that Dan won't be here next week for our uh, we're top of the league pod but there we go so uh, there, there we go but uh, obviously uh, it's time to do some predictions um, you guys all went for uh, Saints to win up at Villa I don't think anyone got it spot on in fact you didn't but you all got one point so Glenn has still got a comfortable two-point lead at the uh, top of the league both five points Stephen and Dan have both got three and then I'm still floundering on zero points but there's obviously more than a uh, an amount of science to that of course but uh, Dan I know you're not going to be there but what's your prediction for the Newcastle visit to Saints I'll go 2-1 Southampton 2-1 home win brilliant all right Steve what do you reckon ultimately I think it's going to be decided by injuries um, I don't think Bertrand's going to be available I suspect I'd be quite surprised if Ings makes it to be honest so I think our attacking threat will be different um, so I think that might limit us a little bit so I, I'm probably going to um, go for the draw go for a one all. yeah be interesting to see I think Newcastle have been playing three at the back haven't they so it'll be interesting to see what they uh, do uh, obviously it's been working for them so he may uh, not change it but uh, Glenn what do you reckon we got a home win and a draw so far and obviously you know go. what I'm going to go for. So <laughs> yeah, I'm going I'm going to go for a very dour one uh, nil win. One nil win, yeah. Another clean yeah. sheet. So I, yeah, I, I I think we, you know, assuming Danny Ings isn't available for this game, you know, I think even if the injury's not that bad, I'd be surprised if they risk him. What is it Friday, isn't it? So uh, we'll have Shane Long or um, maybe Dan and Lundaloo up front or or Walcott. So you know, I, I think. We'll be di- we'll be slightly different, so I, I don't see us uh, banging in four goals again. Um, so, yeah, I'll go I'll go with one nil in a, in a pretty dour game. Brilliant. All right. Well, obviously, with Saints doing so so well at the moment, there's no way that I'm going to change my prediction. So I'm going for Newcastle to win nil one. I'm Danny Ings and you're listening to Total Saints Podcast. Thank you for listening to TSP, assuming you've made it this far. We'll be back next weekend to reflect on that game against the Geordies ahead of yet another international break. Don't forget there is always written content to catch up on during the week as well. You can find Dan's work via theathletic.com. Glenn's always entertaining blogs on Saints are enjoyed at league1-10.blogspot.com and we have our own site as well, totalsaints.co.uk where, amongst other things, I wrote a piece earlier this week on falling in love with a certain Austrian by the name of Ralph Hasenhutl. You can always get in touch via Facebook or Twitter as well. Just search for Total Saints Pod. Otherwise, you can email us any questions, feedback or general Saints comments, totalsaintspodcast at yahoo.com. Otherwise, have a good week. Keep praying for Danny Ings. Do keep safe and well wherever you are in the world, you and your families, and most importantly, keep marching in.
And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. Step onto the legendary clay courts of Roland Garros, where the world's best players battle it out for a chance to win the French Open title. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV, live in HD. Don't miss a moment with daily live coverage and match replays on demand, beginning Monday, May 20th. Be there for all the unforgettable moments. Stream now with Tennis Channel Plus. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.